Welcome to the Simple Cocktails Podcast. I'm Greg Mays, Managing Editor of SimpleCocktails.net, and we are at Tales of the Cocktail in New Orleans. And I'm Lisa Mays. Thanks for tuning in. This episode is sponsored by Jägermeister and Catoctin Creek Distilling Company, home of Roundstone Rye Whiskey. Today was an eventful day, Lisa. Today seems like two days in one. Two seminars in one day? Yes. That's impressive. In my opinion, if you could do one seminar in a day, that's pretty good. Right. So we're amazing because we did two. That first one, though, can I just say, if I finished every single drop of liquor that they poured out in front of me... Dead on the floor. I would be six feet underground. Oh, I see. That was a lot of liquor. A lot of bourbon, by the way. Yeah, it was. So the first seminar was about bottled in bond, Mm -hmm. the concept of bottled in bond. Which was perfect because we just tasted sacred bond brandy. Yeah, just a few weeks ago. And yes. so it was cool to uh, realize that everything we thought about Bottled in Bond <laughs> was wrong. It was cool to realize that that podcast is full of so many inaccurate things. It's what learning is about. If we learn in <laughs> front of everybody, then that means we have no excuse. If we claim that we are amateurs and yeah. that we don't know what we're talking about, that's true. then you guys can't send us that hate mail like, um, this is wrong, you said this wrong. It's like, yeah, we're amateurs. <laughs> is we that told you that from the get-go. Yeah. At least I, that's that's what I can say. I don't know about you, Greg. I'm trying to learn more, is the point. I'm trying to learn more <laughs> and trying to improve. Yeah, we learned a lot more about all of that today. We did. And uh, the seminar was led by Fred Minnick. And Fred's a friend. And so, Fred is a genius. Yeah. So we had an opportunity to sit down with him. And he gave us kind of the, really, it's kind of the Cliff Notes version of the seminar. So you guys are lucky to hear this. So here is Fred with Bottled in Bond. Fred, we just went to your seminar, Bottled in Bond. Super helpful. I think I think sometimes I, I play the ignorance card a little too hard on simple cocktails, you know? So we tasted the Christian Brothers, the bonded brandy mm-hmm. a few episodes right. ago mm-hmm. and i just kind of played dumb about it you know like i don't know what it means the tax stamps or whatever but it's it's a pretty interesting thing and and it was a, a really good seminar so talk a little bit about like what what is bond what's bonded whiskey yeah so when we look at like uh, bottled and bond I mean you know if you take a look at our country as a whole, you know, that's that was our very first attempt at consumer protection legislation. Uh, in leading up to bottle the Bottle and Bond Act of eighteen ninety seven, you had uh, distillers fighting uh, rectified uh, bourbon producers who were putting out uh, bourbon that was half whiskey, half prune juice, maybe. Uh, some glycerin in there. There was all kinds of things that would be added to what would be on the label as, as uh, bourbon. So the Bottled and Bond Act was was an attempt to, for distillers to give consumers and doctors, you know, who were prescribing whiskey at the time. Of course, yeah. You know, it's very important to remember <laughs> is that this was for medicinal purposes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but they were, this was an attempt to give, uh, you know, people... A guarantee, a guarantee that it was at least four years old, uh, distilled in one distilling season, uh, and um, you would know who the the bottler was, and you know who the distiller was, and it would be bottled at 100 proof, and there nothing could be added. You know, so this was this was our closest thing as a as an all organic as you could come to in 1897, and so you know when that came out, that kind of 
change the landscape of, of the spirits industry. And it gave American spirits its first real crown. It was it was the first moment that American spirits had reached its moment. Mm-hmm. You know, cognac and Jamaican rum and all these really traditional and appreciated uh, spirits were out there. But bourbon had nothing. Rye whiskey had nothing. They were just brands floating out on trailers to go to, um, you know, taverns and be sold to consumers and people would know them by brands and so bought the bottle and bond act was really 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 important from a historical perspective and today you know there's not that many brands that are bottled and bond and the bottle and bond bourbons and rye kind of you know, went to the way of the dodo bird in the 1960s and 70s. How come that happened? What? Why did people did people stop caring, or what happened there? Yeah, there's a couple reasons. One is like you know, the 1960s was a different generation, as has played out in our American political system. Many times we see the baby boomers inflicting their their strategies and what they what they think. But on the spirit side of things, um, they started gravitating toward vodka and tequila. And when James Bond said he wanted uh, a martini shaken but not stirred, that really changed the landscape, a, a lot of what people were mixing with. And it takes a long, it, it takes at least a minimum of four years to get to, to Bond, to bottle to Bond. And in the 1970s, they changed the tax structure. And so it was more cost prohibitive to uh, bottle something at 100 proof versus 80 proof. So that's like why we have so many 80 proof products today, including Jim Beam. Uh, is because in the 1970s they changed the tax laws. Uh, they basically penalized higher proof products, wow. and so that's and that was all. That is the reason why we have we had fewer bottled and bonds. I mean, there were hundreds of bottled and bond products, and now we have like 20. Yeah. So, and Heaven Hill was a distillery that kind of, you know, they kept these old labels and they kept you know putting it out there. They would put no marketing money behind it, but they would continue to put bottle and bond on the on, on the label, and that meant something to some people. I mean, for the time, it was as as high of a stature as a fifteen year old cognac, so that gives you an idea of like what people thought of a bottle and bond back in the day. These interviews brought to you by the all natural Machu Pisco, celebrating the centennial of the Pisco Sour. Visit and friend their Facebook page on recipes and celebrations of the cocktail and their co master blender, who is older than the Pisco Sour. I have a secret uh, that we're going to let the audience in on. So that wasn't all that we talked to Fred. We talked to Fred for a long time. Right. And here's the other secret. Jeffrey Morgenthaler from yesterday, mm-hmm. we talked to him for a long time. Yeah, we did. So, so here's the sneak preview. We're putting out daily podcast episodes just as we promised, but we're secretly collecting extra content that you're actually going to hear from us in the coming months. Right, so you can get some more in-depth interviews from them. Yeah, and, and Full you of get them talking about all kinds of good stuff, right. like Fred talking about Albuquerque Mexican food, which was insightful to uh, say the yeah, least yeah that caught me off guard i had to like switch it for a little bit yeah. like i'm so intimidated to oh yeah i totally know what you're talking yeah, about of course that's my favorite <laughs> walking around i see people and i'm like oh i know them from instagram or i know them from snapchat or i know them from it's almost wherever i, I really wish that you could put yourself in their shoes to realize how scary and intimidating it might be that this six foot something man just grabs their shoulders and say 
I know you. I don't grab anyone's shoulders. Um, I tap them gently. Okay. All right. Yeah. So <laughs> so I did that. I did that. I, I picked out Eddie. Eddie's the guy that runs uh, Cocktails for You, which really is mainly a social presence. Cocktails for You on Instagram and on Snapchat. And that's how I recognized him because I had seen him snapping his own face, you know, doing selfies and stuff on Snapchat. Right, right. For those of you who are questioning, is Snapchat really something I should learn? It is. Because Ooh. that was the only reason why we got to pick out this guy and uh, talk That's to true. him and interview him. So get on Snapchat. That's true. Follow us on Snapchat. That's good advice. And follow Eddie. Here's what he had to say. So where do we, where do we know you from? Uh, he's known me from a cocktail for you. Yeah. So I started a blog about uh, four years ago. Okay. Uh, about a bartending community that started post my competition cocktails things and it's grown up into more international yeah. international things and now I'm aiming to make the uh, biggest bartender community which is a blog is not only showing the pictures or videos uh, but it's helping bartenders to promote themselves nice. so that's me the bartenders can uh, contact me directly uh, for support for help to share a drink to promote themselves so to me, we're building a website, so that's mean the partners will be able to submit their drinks on a website. So that's mean they're able to find on a CEO by Google and uh, promote themselves. Nice. Yeah. It's, that's not a, it's, it's not about because I found now for the last few years, there's so many blogs, so many cocktail things from in industry coming up, and usually people who run it is nothing to do with the industry. Mm -hmm. They don't know anything about bartenders, about hospitality. Or they are chasing, they're just chasing the numbers, mm -hmm. just chasing the numbers and doing videos and videos. And I try to be involved more and more with the bartenders, with the bartenders community, and to make sure to be as a, I don't know how to explain, <laughs> be supportive. That's yeah. probably that's probably right. Be everywhere, and uh, you know what I mean. If someone needs a help or promote themselves, to be that community. What are you trying to help them do? How are you trying to support bartenders? I'll say like this, the hardest thing when you're a bartender, and I'll say like this, a lot of bartenders want to make videos of themselves. Uh, especially if they're learning. They, they spend so much time for studying, for practicing moves or something. And sometimes when we, sometimes we have to pay have to pay the money to make a video. And it's so hard to put it somewhere. You know what I mean? It's so hard to put it. So uh, my platform is really good for that. To put the word out or sometimes if we, we do a drink, and they're really, really creative, some different personality, but nobody knows about them. Yeah. So that's another good good thing to put that and uh, to show. Perfect, great to meet you. So the next thing we got to do is go to another of Camper English's seminars. Camper has the personality and the humor and the interest in complex things about cocktails and it all works. So yeah. seriously, every tales, it's like, what's Camper teaching? Because we're going to go to that. It's amazing yeah. how he can geek out, if that, if that's okay to say, on anything. Yeah. And he makes you geek out on the same thing. Yeah, that's exactly right. So this seminar was called Dangerous Drinks or... I just kept calling it Danger Zone as an Archer fan. Danger Zone. Danger Zone. <laughs> I, have the, I have the manual here. I, actually, so this is the, oh, it was called The Roof is on Fire, Dangerous Drinks. I, the way that Camper just is able to execute every single lecture and you walk away being an expert as well. Yeah. Like I could give my own seminar right now yeah. on the dangers of drinks. Yeah, for real. So go ahead and do that. What's What things should people not put in alcohol? Uh, tobacco bitters. Tobacco. Who thought of, that was a good sort. idea? Yeah. <laughs> tobacco of any sort. Because it's much more concentrated when you seep it or, or whatever. So yeah, that's just one example. And then we have our danger guide, which he 
gave us. That's amazing. It, yeah, it's awesome to have a little booklet that says Danger Guide, and so I'm right, proud I'm to I'm going to hold on to that yeah. in case somebody does me wrong. That's right. I'm going <laughs> to show them the book. Maybe you. That's true. Uh, so <laughs> at Camper Seminar, we actually met Sarah Lohman, who is a writer and a blogger, and she's a food expert, but she's also an expert on a specific area of liquor. It was such a luck of chance that we were able to stand right next to her because she hit the nail on the head when it comes to um, things that would be perfect for our podcast. Yeah. Home bartending. How about home distilling? And Sarah, we met uh, talking about distilling, especially, so you're, can I call you an expert on Brooklyn, pretty much? Yeah, I think so. I live in New York City. I actually live in the Lower East Side. Um, but because uh, rental costs, a lot of um, industrial areas are in Brooklyn. And so that's where a lot of New York City's distillers are, in the Brooklyn borough. So I got interested as, um, you know, as of 2010, I saw this distillery that was advertising themselves as Brooklyn's oldest uh, operating distillery and they had been founded in 2010. That's Kings County Distilling. So I got really hooked by the idea of, okay, where were all those distilleries for the last basically 100 years and now they're popping up again. So I began to research that idea and building connections with the different brands that are coming out of Brooklyn. Cool. And you're doing seminars on just that pretty much at Tales, right? Uh, Tales, I'm speaking, is part of the said talks. So they're uh, six talks in 90 minutes. So here, 20 minutes, not just on the contemporary in Brooklyn, but the connection to the historical. And a sort of call to action, too, about the idea of home distilling, um, home winemaking, home beer brewing have all been legalized, but home distilling has not yet. Now, there's some reasons for that, as distilling can be more dangerous than brewing or winemaking. At the same time, if you want to learn how to be a distiller, you have to find a job in one of the major distilleries, or you have to be a moonshiner. And that's really complicated. Um, so learning a craft, learning the craft of distilling is somewhat criminalized. Um, yeah, so that's something else that's really intrigued me. What's, so what is you? So you mentioned your call to action. What is your call to action as far as home distilling? Well, there are some companies that are lobbying the government to legalize home distilling within uh, certain boundaries. But there really just needs to be some sort of pathway to allow people to learn how to distill. Right now, if you buy a still, you end up on a government watch list. Wow. So I'm going to ask people to um, look into organizations that are doing that sort of advocacy so that people have um, an availability of that craft, that they can learn if they want to learn. That makes sense. So that, I guess that path exists for beer and winemaking? Absolutely. You can get a, a beer making kit for a gallon at uh, Whole Foods and it fits in your, your New York City apartment in my case. And in winemaking, both of these have certain legal standards of how much you can make uh, to consume at home and not sell. Now, there has been big steps made into selling in my state and in many others, in that before um, the mid kind of 2005, 2006, it cost between $30,000 and $50,000 a year to get a distilling license. And that really only left that industry open to major, major brands. It's been that way since Prohibition. And in uh, the late 2000s, 2007, New York City changed its laws to allow craft distilling licenses. They saw what it did for winemaking, then what it did for breweries, and now they're opening the door to distillers. So now you can get a license as an individual for under $1,000 a year, and in some cases under $200 a year to open your own craft distillery. That just happened. The first distilleries are founded 2010. Um, now my borough has, or Brooklyn has over a dozen. New York State has over 60. We have the most distillers per state in the East. 
and there's only a few other states that beat us. Like California and Oregon have a lot of distillers too. And we were talking about your home state of New Mexico is also getting into craft distilling as well. And my home state of Ohio, where I'm from, is now just barely getting in there. Michigan is another leader too. Um, Maine is as well. So, I mean, it took us almost 100 years after Prohibition, but we're beginning to open those doors to small distillers, new alcohol, which, uh, much like a great third-party candidate, pulls the whole industry in one direction or the other, makes them have to innovate too to keep up with these smaller craft brands. Special thanks to our sponsor, Jägermeister, the 80-year-old German digestive that's refined one year in oak barrels. Visit Jägermeister.com for cocktail recipes and more. This episode is also brought to you by Catoctin Creek Distilling Company, home of Roundstone Rye Whiskey, available in 14 states and internationally. Fermented, distilled, aged, and bottled at our Virginia distillery. Do you know where your whiskey is made? Visit CatoctinCreek.com for more information or order online. So our evening uh, was something we were looking forward to. Because yes. We, it was because we had two events that we were not sure what they were. Right. Is really the way it's going to That's kind of scary for us. It is. I don't like that. And you really don't like that. I don't at all. I want to know, <laughs> like, am I going to be at a restaurant? Is this, if you're calling it a dinner, will there actually be food? To me, if you say <laughs> it's a dinner, that means I'm sitting at a table. Right. Right? Not like there's popcorn in a, in a bin in the corner. <laughs> okay. You know what I mean? All right. Okay. So, so we went, we actually had two dinners, which was pretty awesome. Had a super early dinner and a super late dinner. So we went to both of those. Uh, the early dinner was, it was a dinner theater of sorts. It was. It was really cool though. It, well, let me just say, I did not like it coming in. Okay. This girl comes up to me and she's like, oh, sweetie, you look amazing. And I'm like, oh, thank you. Oh my God, I love your shoes. I'm like, oh my God, I made a best friend. Come to find out she is an actress. She's an actress. She's part of the show. So yes, I was kind of bummed out. Because none of those things were true, apparently. <laughs> I went away with it. Really impressed and pretty amazed at the amount of effort that Smirnoff went to um, educate us. It's true. So it was Smirnoff doing a dinner theater to basically reenact the invention of the Moscow Mule. And if you have to do a dinner theater, it should have liquor. Yeah, it should. And it was perfect. It was. It was great. It was amazing. Moscow Mules hit the spot because it was hot and they were good and it was tasty. It was just the perfect time for one of those. Give me some liquor in a copper cup. Yeah. I'm good to go. Hit uh, Instagram and you'll see the photo I took of the copper cup. It was sweaty. It was delicious. So a short time later, we broke away to our next dinner engagement, Fancy Us. This one we had, uh, there was two reasons that I really wanted to go to this one. Reason number one is it's a specific liquor that's trying to carve out its own space. Right. Like it's new and they're trying to actually make it its own category of liquor and all right. that. So it's Singani 63. So if you've never heard of it. That should be no surprise because I hadn't either. Right. Uh, so it's it's a pretty new liquor company. The The secret behind the scenes, of course, is who's behind it. So Steven Soderbergh is behind the brand. Uh, it's really his brand. So you may know him from, you know, his movies Traffic or Ocean's Eleven. He's a, he's a great director, actually. He's a really interesting guy. And so we thought, hey, it'd be kind of crazy if he was actually at this event. And he was. Right. And, and by the luck of the gods, you were able to get an interview. Tell us, what is Singani 63? What is Singani? 
Singani is the result of a, a very interesting narrative that starts in Egypt 500 years ago in Alexandria. Um, a grape, that, a white muscat of Alexandria grape that somehow goes to Spain and then somehow goes to South America and lands in Tarija in Bolivia, which has an elevation of 6,500 feet, which turns out to be the perfect place for this grape to, to be produced and, and brings out all of the aromatics of the grape. How this happened, and it's such a random story that it found its way to the perfect place for it to be its ultimate expression is is when I think about it, it's almost like the great new it needed to go there. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because the terrain and the altitude bring out everything in this one grape that make it great. And so I didn't know any of this when I drank it for the first time in 2007. I just thought it was great. And now, so this has all been a process of me learning the story of Singani and then gradually bringing it to the US. So it's, it's that was, yeah, nine years. Here we go, nine years. Yeah. So now it's here. What, what, what do you want people to know about it? Well, what I want people to know is it is, I would argue, the most versatile spirit that you will ever encounter. You can use Singani to make any number of classic cocktails. You can any white spirit that you have, you can use Singani to replace it. But you can also replace some brown spirits with it. You can make a Vucare with it that's fantastic. You can make a Sazerac. Like it's it's really unique because of its floral qualities and the fact that it's such a soft alcohol given its proof level. Um, what we've discovered talking to mixologists is you can it's it's a it's a humble spirit. Okay. It will it will you put it in you put it in something and it and it, it finds its place. You know what I mean? Like it, it doesn't it have an well. it doesn't have an ego. Like yeah. it it, fi it kind of finds its sort of place right. in the drink. And the number of the number of cocktails that people have created, the, the menus that we've been on in the in the markets that we've gotten into I mean we're in the multiple hundreds now and and the range is crazy I, I was in the Hotel Monte de Leon today and Marvin who's like a legend there in an hour he kept he would bring something out and he go well I made this and we would talk and we go I have an idea and he would walk away and we'd come back 15 minutes later and he'd go well I just made this you know I, I decided let's try this or let's try. and and every one of them you drank and you just went that's great like that's great and to see him here's a guy who's been in this world for decades to see him so activated you know what I mean like to see to see him go like let me do this let me do that let me do a Ramos like, and I was like, dude, that's 10 minutes. You got to shake that. He's like, no, I want to do it. And he brought it back. And it was like amazing. So that was this afternoon. That was a really nice thing to see somebody who has that much experience, that excited. And, and so, you know, he was just saying, like, I really love playing with it. I love pushing it this way, that way, mixing it with other spirits because it's very friendly, yeah. you know what I mean? Like it's it's not so forward, 
that, like I said, it doesn't, it's humble. Like it doesn't, it doesn't want to dominate. It's, it keys off whatever's around it. And so that he was like, I really like pushing it around, combining it with other spirits. And that was exciting. I was like, I, 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 the sales team was all there. We walked out of the hotel and I go, that was a really amazing hour right, with yeah. Marvin. Like, yeah, no doubt. I learned a lot. Yeah. He made a Bloody Mary. I always felt like, knowing Singani, I was like, I don't know if this is a Bloody Mary spirit. And, and, I, and I told him that, and he goes, oh, it absolutely is. And he went, and he came back with the Zing Zang yeah. mix that they have, and we tasted it. I was like, that's, that's fantastic. Like, I never would have gone there. I, 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 because I thought the floral notes would, like, push against that in the wrong way. And he was the one who goes, no, not at all. Not at all. They back off because the spirit like backed off. And I don't know. I feel lucky. I really do. I feel lucky. I found it. I. It's been, look, bringing a spirit to market is really hard. It's really hard. The competition is so intense to get on the back bar. And and you know it's the whole company is six people, yeah, you know, right, and right. we're you know we're 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 two and a half years in, and and it keeps at at the end of June of this year, we'd sold as much Singani as we did all of last year. So like it's it's moving, it's moving in the right, right. direction, yeah, you know. Great. But it's it's you know we we hooked up with uh, Select Wines here. Rosemary was really aggressive. She's like, I want it. I can do it. I can make this work. Because I don't want to go into a market and fail. You know what I mean? Like Simon Ford last year sat down with us and for like an hour and we sort of talked. And he's like, don't go too far too fast. He goes, that, he goes, don't confuse expansion with growth. Wow. You know, he, yeah. And I really, uh, that's our mantra is like, just because somebody called, because we get calls. Right. People read shit. Right. But I'm like, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to fail. Like, if we're going to go somewhere, what's our plan? Well, I'm not, I'm in the long game. I'm not in a hurry. I'm not looking to get bought out. Right. Like, what's the plan? I want to, I want to. You know, Louisiana is my home state. Like, if we're gonna be in Louisiana, I want it to work. You know, and and we hooked up, I think, with the right distributor. So, anyway, it's been it's fun to learn a new thing. Yeah, it's a new business. So. What a fun day, and we got a couple more of them, so stay tuned to Simple Cocktails Podcast day by day as we uh, get some more interviews and have a lot more fun at Tales of the Cocktail. Thanks for listening today, guys. I'm Greg Mays, Managing Editor of SimpleCocktails.net. And I'm Lisa Mays. Remember to check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Cheers. Cheers.